Well, thank you for allowing me the opportunity to be here again. Um, about a month and a half ago, I had the opportunity to, uh, to be with a handful of you from uh, was a family camp, is that right? Or a, what was it called? Adult camp, that's right, yeah. I, I don't remember what it's called, but I was there, all right? Um, I had a great time. I trust many of you that were there uh, enjoyed yourselves and maybe were challenged. And uh, that's kind of what I'm hoping for today is that as we uh, walk through what God's Word has to say, uh, that we not only learn something, but we actually have an ability to apply it to our lives. And so that's my desire, and I hope that it works out that way. Is anybody else kind of distracted here today? I'm a little bit distracted, and let me share why. Um, so we have a series of cell phones in our houses. I've got four kids, my wife and I, and one of the phones ended up breaking. And um, so we ordered a new phone. We switched out the information, which was great. You know, it was just wonderful. So we switched out the information, and I wake up this morning, and a contact that is typically on my phone just came up with a phone number. I'm like, what's going on here? Well, as it ends up, my wife, as I was practicing my sermon last night, um, was going through the, one of the old phones, or the, actually the new phone, and, well, what's that contact doing in there for? And starts getting rid of these contacts because my daughter doesn't need all these people. Well, it ends up that they're still synced together. I didn't know that. She didn't know that. So I'm a little distracted because I'm trying to figure out how do I get all these contacts back in my phone. So if I haven't called you or don't call you, and I typically had, I'm sorry, I lost your number. All right. So Angie, I know it was totally a mistake. Absolutely. Thank you for, we talked about it this morning. You said, throw me under the bus. So there you go. There you go. So distracted. We're maybe a little bit distracted. I don't know what your situation is in your life that causes some distraction right now, but uh, I trust that we can take a moment and we can just focus in on what God may have to say through his word. Uh, So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be opening up to Matthew chapter 26. Uh, Matthew chapter 26. Uh, I need to give a little background before we start diving into this. As we know, today is Palm Sunday. Uh, if you grew up in the church, you understand Palm Sunday is the day that uh, Jesus is at the, toward the end of his ministry. He's been teaching and preaching and healing for years. And now he knows the elements of, uh, and the pinnacle of his time is coming very, very near. He is but a week away from realizing the cross, and yet the grave is to come following that. So if we put ourselves in that situation, we think of uh, the palm branches being dropped before Jesus as he's on this colt with his disciples following. Everybody is praising Jesus because he is going to be the new ruler of the Israelite life. They, I think the people that are laying these branches down and laying their coats down in front of Jesus as he enters Jerusalem, I imagine they're probably thinking this is similar to what it was like for our, God, our forefathers back when they were in Egypt. And they saw Moses coming, and he's doing these miracles in front of them, and all of a sudden Moses takes them out of their slavery and into freedom. And I imagine maybe they're thinking this is very similar. Jesus did all these miracles. He did these things. He, he healed the blind. He made the lame man walk. He, he forgave sins. He did some magnificent things for these people. And here he is coming into town, and we're ready for him to take over this Roman rule. They're tired of the Romans. They're ready for Jesus to say, I am now the king. That's Palm Sunday. They're prepared for Jesus to come. They didn't realize that the cross was his destiny. 
as you take several days from there, that Sunday up to Friday, Good Friday, when he actually, his life is taken from him, there's a series of events, and we find ourselves in Matthew 26 inside of this event between Palm Sunday and the death of Christ. Okay, so we're in the glimpse, we get to get an inside scoop of Jesus being ready, he knows the cross is coming. And he's, he's preparing himself for it, but he's in agony. He's in agony because he knows maybe what's coming isn't exactly what he wants. So I want to encourage you to open up to Matthew. Matthew is uh, the, the first gospel of uh, the New Testament. Matthew was the... Uh, tax collector that Jesus said, come follow me, okay? So G- Matthew wrote this for us, and he experienced it for us to see this letter that we compile in a book that we call the Bible, okay? So Matthew chapter 26, we're going to read 10 verses, 36 through 46, and if you could follow along with me, uh, we will then get to what we're talking about today. The title of the sermon is called Yours or Mine. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and his two sons of Zebedee along with him and began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he, Jesus, fell to his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken from me unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. I don't want this, but your will be done. Then he returned to his disciples and said to them, you're still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come. The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let's go. Here comes my betrayer. See, Jesus, remember, he experienced God's power in many, many ways throughout many years. The healings, the, the, the salvation, the, the new life that has been found in people. He taught his disciples for the past three years. He, he embarrassed the Pharisees, which I think the disciples probably loved. Jesus is right at the end of his life on earth. The countdown to imminent death has begun. Jesus feels the cold breath of death pouring down his neck. You see, we read in John chapter 8 that Jesus only does what the Father tells him to do. 
He's committed himself to the Lord, and I'll only do what the Father tells me to do. And here, the Father is telling him, I want you to go to the cross. And Jesus is like, are you, are you sure? Is there any other way that this can be done? Because if you do have another way, I want that way. But if not, not my way, but your way. You see, Jesus understood the will of God through deep, intimate connection with him. I've talked about being connected to the vine and producing great fruit. Jesus was ultimately connected to God. We see him going off to a quiet place to pray all the time to connect himself with God again, that he might bear fruit, and the fruit that he's bearing is submission to the will of God. Have you ever asked yourself, what is God's will in a particular situation? What is his desire? What is his plan for me? Because if I know his plan, I can probably do his plan. As long as I know that it's him. I think we all have. Maybe it's in your financial struggles. Life is just upside down financially. You just can't seem to make ends meet. Lord, what is your will in all of this? Maybe it's in painful relationships. You're struggling with this, this relationship that ought to be good, and maybe it was good, and now it's not. Lord, what is your will? Maybe it's your health concerns. Maybe it's a future direction. Maybe it's your, your marriage challenges. Maybe it's you've been single, and you're tired of being single, and you're ready to move on in life. And Lord, what is your will in my life at this point right now? What is the latest, Lord, what is your will today? What are you seeking God's will for in your life today? Years ago, I was in a ministry that was really um, difficult, to say the least. It was painful. There were things being said about me and us that were just totally untrue. And, and I needed some help because I couldn't see what God's will was in it. So I called up one of my uh, elder friends from another church ministry, and, and I'm asking him, and I'm kind of going through this, this what's happening, and I can't understand what to do. And he just stopped for a moment. He said, Jesse, i got a question for you. And this might be the question for you in your situation today. He said, Jesse, is God sovereign? Is God sovereign? Is he really in control of all of this? He said, Jesse, don't you think that if, since God is in control of what's happening in your life right now, don't you think he could have not allowed this into your life? But he has allowed it in for something. This awful struggle I'm in, he has allowed so now what do I do with this awful struggle that God has allowed into my life? This sovereign God. See, God's sovereignty, uh, the, the term sovereign means this, to possess supreme or ultimate power. To possess supreme or ultimate power. So then does God really have it all under his control? In your life, the difficult life direction that's coming, coming up. Maybe the imminent transition at work. Your health problems, wayward children or grandchildren. Is God sovereign in that situation? 
See, everything that has happened in our lives has been allowed by God. He's allowed it, and we ask why. You see, just because God allowed it doesn't mean that he purposed it. It doesn't mean that he moved it, okay? So the struggle you're having doesn't mean that he has uh, created the problem in your life. It means that he has allowed it. But now we ask, why has that happened? Um, the thing is, is that there's, there's joys that God has allowed that we oftentimes don't mark as good things in our lives that God has put into, sovereignly into our lives. The good things, right? The children, the grandchildren, your friends, retirement accounts, maybe your vacations in your homes. We don't necessarily think, Lord, you're sovereign and your goodness, you've given this to me and how great that is. It's always when the troubles come that we ask, Lord, what is this? The divorce, the abuse, the relationship failures, the church challenges. You see, it's easy to see that God has his hands in the good things. It's difficult when you see those difficult things coming up. Those challenges happen, and we wonder, why has God allowed it? And what is his will in that situation? You see, Jesus followed God's will in every situation, even to the point of following him to the cross. I will do your will, Lord. I will do the struggle because I'm going to trust you. And as, if we are sitting here today and we call ourselves Christians, we are little Christs. We are little Christ people that are intended to live as Christ has lived. And if he lived full in trust that the Lord's will is his will, then ought we not to do the Lord's will? Just like Christ has. You see, Romans 12, 2 tells us that God has a will, but not only a will, a good, pleasing, and perfect will. I would love to know God's good, pleasing, and perfect will in my tough situations. So as we uh, get into this now, we're going to be going into more of a teaching time, okay? Uh, there's some things we're going to get into here, I want to encourage you to maybe make a list. We're going to have a checklist of discerning God's will, okay? So if you're wanting to know, what is, how do I determine God's will in any situation, I want you to go back to this and be able to have, okay, I'm going to go through this checklist and determine how I can see what God's will is, okay? So we're going to get there, but it's important for us to understand that there's really two wills of God, okay? There's two wills of God, and I got this from uh, John Piper, a little bit from John Piper. He kind of gave us these two wills. The second one, I modified the, the word a little bit because I felt it was a little more easier to palate. We could understand it a little easier. Uh, so the first one of God's will is his decreed will. Okay, His decreed will. It is what he has determined will happen regardless of anything else. This is going to happen, and it will not and cannot be changed. Okay? God's decreed will. The second will of God is his desired will. Okay? His desired will. And this can be gone against by us. Every one of us can either choose it or not choose it. We can disobey his desired will. Here are some examples. Okay? Examples of his decreed will. Think of Abraham. He's looking at Sodom and Gomorrah, right? And he's looking at it and saying, Lord, do you really want to destroy this, this town, these towns? Do you really want to destroy these people? He says, Lord, what if there are 50 people that were righteous in this group? Would you 
No, I won't destroy it if there's 50. What about, okay, Lord, I'm sorry. What about 45, 40, 30, 20, 10? God says, no, I won't destroy if there's 10. The Lord's decreed will was going to happen, and it did happen. We know that that's the case. You look at Genesis. Jesus uh, was, was prophesied about, even in Genesis, God says, I'm going to send someone to save you. We know that at the point of Jesus coming, he is the one that God sent to save. It was going to happen, and there's nothing that is going to change God's mind. Today, we look forward, and we say Jesus came, and he left us, but he's coming back according to what God's word has to say. So we're looking forward to his decreed will. He is going to imminently come back, and we look forward to that day. It's coming. That's our hope as Christ followers. So his decreed will is there. We understand also that there's a desired will. You don't have to go far into the Bible to find his desired will not being uh, submitted to. Adam and Eve, right? Yeah, Adam and Eve. God says, don't, you can have every fruit in this whole place except for that one tree. You can't have that one. It's not because I want to keep something from you. I want you to trust me. They couldn't do it. We can't do it. <laughs> right? We all grab that forbidden fruit. They couldn't do it. God had a desired will, and they didn't follow his desired will. You follow that through all of the Old Testament. You find the Old Testament kings. God has a desire for them to follow him with their whole heart, and they don't do it. And you see the results of happening when they choose not to follow his desired will. We go all the way to uh, the New Testament. Go to Second Peter. Second Peter chapter three verse nine says this: "The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting His will, anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He wants nobody to perish, but everyone to repent." You and I both know that not everybody is going to repent. His will is for everyone. The result is not everyone. Does that make sense? You see, we got a desired will of God, and we don't always follow his desired will. Why would God allow us to disobey his will? See, I believe that what he's doing when, when we have struggles in our life is he's pointing us right back to him. He's asking us, he's grabbing us by the shoulders and saying, do you trust me? Do you trust that I have your good in mind, even though it hurts, even though it's difficult, even though you don't understand why this has been allowed by me into your life? Do you trust me? Ever been at a point in your life when all you could do was cling to God? You don't know what else to do but to cling to Him. Maybe it was a time when you just wish those other people would just listen to the Lord. Psalm 63, 8 says, I cling to you, O God. I've had times in my life where I feel like I'm on my knees and I'm just clinging to the hem of God's robe, saying, I need you desperately. 
you realize that as much as it hurts you to watch difficult things happen, that God desires to teach us through it? So I ask again, what has God in his sovereignty allowed into your life and mine? And what might God want to teach us through it? What is he teaching us? Now we ask, what is God's will in this particular situation? And how can we know it? Because again, in Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it's a very common verse that we hear all the time, says this, Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see, he's saying, don't follow what the world says to follow. He says, I want you to be brand new. New thinking will cause new life. Okay, so as you begin to think and cling to the Lord with new thinking, here's the result. Then, which is where we want to get to, right? We want to get to then. Then, at the renewing of your mind, you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. Who wants to test and approve God's will? I hope so. I do. I do. Not just his will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Yes, please, sign me up. I want to be able to know his, God, his will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will, and I want to be able to do it. Whether it has to do with your kids, your grandkids, your work, church, school, we can know God's will, and we can follow it. So, when it comes to knowing his desired will in a particular situation, first of all, it takes us living according to his command, which is being connected to him. We have to begin to transform our thinking to live according to his way. We just watched a documentary not long ago about uh, the, the plasticity of our mind, the, the ability for our mind to change and grow even in, in, in uh, uh, trauma, okay? It's amazing what our brains are able to do. It's blowing the minds of some of these scientists. So the whole renewing of the mind is where it starts. We have to be willing to follow the Lord in all of these ways. So as we live a life of holiness, we can begin to discern his specific and desired will in the situations. All right, moving on. I think I got you. So how do we know the specific will of God in our lives? How do we do this? So here's where the checklist, I want to encourage you, if you're a note taker, this would be good notes to take. All right, this, I, I, was, I received this uh, checklist just like this years ago, and I've gone back to it many, many times. So I think it's valuable for all of us. How do we know the Lord's will? How do we discern the Lord's will? Uh, number one, and there's seven. The first one will take the most amount of time, but then we'll kind of walk through the other ones fairly quickly, okay? The first one I'm calling the law of love. Andy Stanley, one of my favorite preachers to listen to, I appreciate how he uh, brings uh, the very simplistic uh, value of God's word to us, he says this. He asks this question, what does love require of me? What does love require of me? You see, if we framework all of our will of God, Lord, what is your will in all of this? And we framework it around the whole idea of love. I think we might be surprised that it already answers the direction that God wants us to go. You know, uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 is the, the uh, fruit of the Spirit, right? 
The fruit of the Spirit is love, and we have a whole list of more fruit. But the first one is love. And at the very end of that, those verses, it says, against such things there is no law. There's nothing that can go against if you are living the law of love. Okay? If you're wondering, how do I do this situation? If you just go right to the fact, how can I love this person the best? You'll succeed. You'll know that's God's will. Okay? What is the law of love? What if all that we did in our lives was based on following the law of love? There's one time, uh, it was Christmas time, uh, we, would, we lived in Michigan for a couple of years, and we would travel back a couple times a year. One of them was for Christmas. So we came back for our week Christmas vacation, and uh, you know, having four kids, one minivan, a little dog, and uh, two adults in this minivan, coming back from Christmas was never like a comfortable ride, right? We had this, uh, this attachment we could put on the hitch on the back that created an extra shelf, and we filled that thing and strapped that thing down. Then we had this bag that we could put on top of the rack of the, tr- of the van that was waterproof that we stuffed that full of our stuff that we got for Christmas, zipped that up, strapped that down to the top of the van. And then we were like crammed inside the van because our families love us so much. They wanted to bless us with so much stuff. And we're so grateful for that. So keep that in mind as you think of what I'm, what I'm going to. So we're cramped full in this van and I'm driving up this hill in this little town somewhere and there's this lady, this elderly lady, getting out of her vehicle to my left. Okay, I'm driving. It's a beautiful day. I'm happy. And this lady's coming out, and it's just ice. Okay, she's in her driveway, and the driveway is, you know, probably five feet back behind her vehicle. And she's coming out of her vehicle, and she's like hanging on with dear life, right? Just sliding and just being really careful. And I can tell what she's doing because it's around noon, I think, or something. She's going around the back of her vehicle to get the mail. The mailbox is just on the other side, but it's, you know, it's probably 20 feet away. And she's scooting, and I'm thinking, she can't hold on to her vehicle over there. So I'm driving by, I'm like, boy, I really hope she makes it there. Right? Just wait, this story gets better. So I'm driving along, and not even a mile later, Something catches my eye again on the left side, okay? Now, this was, this was pretty awesome. I remember we're full of stuff, right? I see this box, and I know immediately what this box is all about. This box, it's an odd-shaped box that you find in the store, and I've been looking for this for a long time. This box had a, uh, a center uh, uh, speaker for your TV with a subwoofer. <laughs> so I go past him like, oh, that would be so awesome. I don't have one. I didn't get one for Christmas, so you know what I did? I pulled over. I'm going to get it. I turned that thing around. I'm like, I know we're going home. we got another four hours, but we're going to go get this thing. I turn around. I jump out of the car. I grab the box, and it's nothing in it. Come on. I look back at that, and I ask myself this question. What does love require of you? Oof. I loved myself a lot that day. I didn't love that lady. I didn't love her. I I hoped she got to her mailbox okay. I didn't show love very well. 
cared more about what I wanted than what she wanted. James 4 reminds us, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from evil desires within you? What does love require of you, husbands and wives? What does love require of you? What if rather than keeping track that you're being served, what if we focused more on how well we can serve the other? What if we outserved our spouse? Church, is the goal of this gathering to get as much out of it as you can? Or is it how much you can give back into this gathering? What does the law of love say? Maybe it's at work. Is the goal to barely do what you're paid to do? What does the law of love say? Kids, maybe at school. What do you do about that kid that's getting bullied? Maybe you do what you think is the right thing and really not do anything about it because it has nothing to do with you, right? It has everything to do with them, and oh boy, I just hope that they get it taken care of. I just don't want to get in the mix. What if the Lord says, what does love require of you? Maybe it means standing up for that person. So, the first test of discerning God's will, what does love require of you? The law of love. Number two. Number two. Very simply, what does God's word have to say? God's word. Okay? God may have specifically said what we ought to do or ought not to do. It might be very clear in there what it says. Here's an example. If you go to to Malachi... Chapter 3, you'll find that God is telling us, bring your tithes and offerings to the storehouse, right? To the church, to the the temple. Bring your tenth is what we attribute that to. So many of us today, we think, I got my tenth. Here's my tenth, right? We don't find the tenth in the New Testament at all. What we find is a different attitude, which is Jesus calls us to generous giving. And just to be quite honest with some of you, I believe that a tenth is not very generous. Could it be that God is saying, yes, you're following the law, but you're not missing the heart? Could it be that God wants us to do what he says and live generously? So, number two is God's word. You might just know exactly what God has to say about it, and you try to do gymnastics around what it's being said, but you have to follow it. Number three, prayer. Number three is prayer. Sometimes God reveals his desire to you and to me in prayer. Remember what Jesus was doing when he said, Lord, not your will, or not my will, but your will be done? He was praying between him and God, very intimate close prayer. He was saying, Lord, I want your will, and God made it obvious. I want your will. So, law of love, God's word, number three is prayer, number four. Everybody okay? Everybody okay? All right. We're almost done. Hang in there. Number four, wise godly counsel. Proverbs chapter 19. Proverbs chapter 19 reminds us, Verse 20, it says, Listen to advice and accept discipline. 
And at the end, you'll be counted among the wise. Listen to advice and accept discipline. Maybe in your situation, you need to ask somebody else older and wiser than you. Maybe not older, maybe just wiser. What should I do? What do I do in this particular situation? Have you ever lived your life in a, in a fog because you don't know which direction to go? I've had that. And that time that I'm telling you about that elder calling me and asking if God is sovereign, I was in an absolute fog. I had no idea where to go. But you see, that fog only consumed me. The fog was only as far as I could see, but others could see beyond that. And other older and wiser folks that have the heart of God in them, they're telling me, if you just keep walking, Jesse, you'll make it. Just keep walking. It's okay. Trust the Lord. It's okay. Keep walking. And I'm so glad I did. So glad I had wise counsel speaking into my life to say this is the direction you ought to go because I see a bigger picture. Sometimes we need a guide when the fog is around. So four was wise godly counsel. Number five, internal Holy Spirit promptings. Some churches, they don't like the idea of maybe the Holy Spirit working in our hearts because it's uncontrollable. Francis Chan has a book called The Forgotten God. And if you're wondering how to handle uh, this concept, the, the, the person of the Holy Spirit, uh, that's a great book to look into to maybe open the mind to what the Holy Spirit uh, is doing or could be doing. You see, there's this idea, this concept of discernment. We need to discern what the Holy Spirit is saying. Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10 says this. And this is my prayer. This is Paul writing to the, the church of Philippi. He's writing to a, gr- a group of people that are gathering kind of like we are. And he's instructing them through this note, this letter, that we get a chance to read that's put into this book. Okay? So this letter says, and this is my prayer. Paul says this that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Love, deeper understanding, deeper insight, okay? So that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. There's an element of discernment that needs to happen, and as we trust in God, he uses his Holy Spirit to work inside of us that we'll understand how we ought to live and ought to not live. Uh, sometimes this feels a little bit like our gut. There was one time my wife and I went to the Mall of America. We were getting ready to enter this jewelry store, and as I started walking across the threshold, I felt her arm grab me and pull me back. I'm like, what? We're just going to go look around here. She's got incredible discernment in her, and she's like, Jesse, there's something not right here. We can't go in there. Okay. There's a discernment of the Holy Spirit in her that came out and said, we've got to be careful. And that might be happening in you. The challenge is, this is where it's sometimes difficult to discern the Holy Spirit in us, okay? Because sometimes we get kind of mixed up and we think that it's all us. Jeremiah 17.9 reminds us this. The human heart is most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who knows how bad it is? That doesn't mean not listening to what happens inside of us. It means be aware and be careful. I have this one, understanding the Holy Spirit's discernment, lower on the the checklist because sometimes we put that as the first thing and we throw all the others out because I feel like it, right? 
We've gotten ourselves into all kinds of troubles because we felt like it before, right? And we didn't listen to the other lists of things of discerning the Lord's will. And so we, we want to make sure that we're keeping that in check. And that can be in check by taking your discernment, asking somebody that's wiser than you to say, I'm sensing this by God. Is this right or is this wrong? Does that make sense? They work together. They work together. All right, that was number five. We're almost done, folks. Almost done. Tired of listening to me. I know. I'm tired of listening to myself. Almost done. Here we go. Number six, life circumstances. Life circumstances. Going to go to Proverbs chapter 26. <laughs> this is a very real thing. If you have a pet, you know this. Proverbs 26, 11. As a dog returns to his vomit, so a fool repeats his foolishness. Um, my dog did that this morning. It was pretty gross. And my, I was telling my kids, it's, it says it in the Bible. They're like, what? There it is, Levi, I told you. I told you. So life circumstances. Sometimes we've gotten ourselves into trouble in the past. We've done things that we know God didn't really want us to do. But sometimes we just keep going back to it and we haven't learned our lesson. Sometimes you need to just stop. Look at my life circumstance. Look at where I am because of where I've been. Huh, I'm here in not a great place because I've made bad choices in the past. I need to start making some different choices. We don't want to be like that dog that returns to his filth, okay? Because God wants to direct you here forward. And so ask yourself, how can God be directing you forward based on what is happening now? And lastly, number seven, opened and closed doors. Opened and closed doors. So uh, the book of Acts was actually sent along uh, the, to the churches right along with the book of Luke. Uh, Luke is the author of Acts. And in Acts chapter 16, verse 6, it's talking about Paul and his companions, and he's going through different places preaching the gospel of Jesus. And it says right at the, toward the end, it says... Um, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. I would think preaching the word of God is a good thing. But here it tells us that the Holy Spirit prevented him from going to this other place. He had these closed doors in his life that prevented him from going further. So you might be having some closed doors in your life that is God saying, I don't want you to go there. I don't want you to go there. There might be discerning God's will by these closed doors. He might have open doors for you to say, I want you to go there. But again, sometimes an open door isn't always God. Sometimes it's us. So we need these other checklist items to determine, Lord, what is your will? Help me understand this stuff. And when we put these things together and we start living our lives according to God's desired will by discerning his will, I believe we will know his good, pleasing and perfect will. I believe that our lives will be better for it because we know that as we trust the Lord, great things will, be, will happen. It doesn't mean we're not going to have struggles. When we have struggles, God's saying, do you trust me? And as we trust him through those struggles, he's going to show us how to go. So are you struggling with figuring out God's will in your life? He wants us to know he really wants us to know his good, pleasing, and perfect will. He wants you to know it. So I encourage you to take your situation and go through the checklist. Go through the checklist, because I believe that God is going to point you the right way. 
And I don't know, maybe you're here and you just really sense that, you know what, I, I've never really even, uh, never even trusted my life to God through Christ. This is an opportunity for you that God may be knocking on your door and saying, of your heart, saying, I want to come in because I want you to trust me. And it starts with trusting that Jesus died for us, rose again, everybody dies, Jesus died, but not everybody rises like that. Jesus rose again to prove that he was who he said he was. And I've put my trust in him. I know many people here have trusted in him. And I am going to just ask that if you're questioning that, I want to encourage you just to say a very simple prayer sometime today. Say, Jesus, if you're real, show me. I think you'll show up. I think you'll show up. Would you pray with me? Father, I know that my... Uh, my prayer falls short of saying the right words and doing the right things. Lord, I know that you are good and we look forward uh, to celebrating the fact that you sent your son Jesus not just to die but to rise again to prove what he said. And Lord, there's plenty of times in my life, even now, where I'm, Lord, I'm asking, Lord, what are you doing? What is your will that I may walk in it? And there may be many here that are in situations where they're saying, Lord, what is your will? Would you help us to walk in it? And as we discover what your will is, Lord, then it's the challenge of doing it. And I just pray, Father, for great uh, courage and great strength that only comes from you that we will know and do your will. And Lord, I, I, there may be some here that might be taking the first step today and saying, I'm going to trust in Jesus. It may not even make a whole lot of sense, but Lord, I pray that as they say, Jesus, I don't know if you're real, but if you are, show me. I pray that you just make yourself very real to them. Show them who you are. And I thank you, Lord. Thank you that you, you don't just kind of bait us. You don't hold this bait in front of us and say, come on, come on, uh, maybe you'll catch it. But you promise us that if we seek you, you'll, we'll find you. So we seek you today, Lord. Make us different. Make us more like Jesus, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. stand and sing.